Welcome to section 1.3, which is properties of matter. We're going to continue on with learning target 1.1, which is I can classify matter and its changes based on its properties. We're going to focus in on subtarget C, D, and E. So C is I can describe several techniques for the separation of mixtures. D, I can distinguish between physical and chemical properties, extensive and intensive properties. And E, I can define melting point, boiling point, and solubility. So first let's look at intensive versus extensive properties. If you want to positively identify a given substance, so let's say you're given something and it's your job as a scientist to figure out what's the identity of it, it's unknown currently, you would use the intensive properties of that material. And that's because intensive properties are independent of amount. It doesn't matter if you have a large sample or a small sample, the property is the same no matter how much you have. Some examples of that would be density, melting point, boiling point, solubility. All of these are examples of properties that do not change depending on the amount that you have. So the opposite would be extensive properties. Those do depend on the amount you have. Something like the mass or the volume. Obviously if you had a larger sample versus a smaller, its mass would be higher or lower. So, if we're going to talk about intensive and extensive properties of matter, we need to know what the properties are. So, matter is always identified by certain properties or characteristics. And there are two types. The first is called physical properties. Those are ones that you can usually observe with your five senses or you can measure with a piece of equipment. So, some examples might be uh, the color of your piece of paper, its texture, the density of a penny, uh, boiling point of water, electrical conductivity of a metal. So all, are these, all of these are things that you can either um, observe with your five senses or you can measure. Chemical properties, on the other hand, are those that are related to the behavior of a substance and the changes it will undergo if you uh, put it in the presence of another substance or if you put it under a change in energy. That would be something like, for example, sugar when you heat it, which is a change in energy, produces a black substance, and gas, that black substance, is actually caramel. Um, if you go too far and too quick, however, uh, all of my chefs will realize and remember that when you heat up caramel or sugar too quickly, it turns crunchy black and kind of disgusting. So here are some examples of physical properties. So you can see over here we've got some gold, which uh, has is opaque. Its color is yellowish. It's a solid at room temperature. Its density is about 19.3 grams per milliliter. Contrast that with the diamonds, which are right next to it. Uh, they're transparent, so you can see through them. Their color is colorless, or the lack of color. But they too are a solid at room temperature, but notice the density is much lower than that of gold. And then lastly, we have water, something that you see all the time. Um, it is transparent, similar to the diamonds, colorless, similar to the diamonds. Oh, here goes the differences. Its phase at 25 or its state at room temperature is a liquid versus a solid diamond. And its density is much lower and it's a density of one gram per milliliter. You're going to want to write this number down. Uh, the density of water is something we use all the time and I will expect that you know that one gram of water um, 
takes up a volume of one milliliter. And we'll get into some density discussion in a little bit also. Involves chemical properties. So here we have methane, uh, which is typically what you find in natural gas at your house if you have gas on your stove. Um, a chemical property of methane is that it will react with water, or I'm sorry, react with oxygen to form carbon dioxide and water, and it gives off lots of heat during the reaction, which is good for cooking. Um, if you've ever done the baking soda and vinegar volcano, which is pretty notoriously done, um, maybe like fifth grade or earlier, it makes a huge mess, but it's great to see. Um, one of the chemical properties of baking soda is that it reacts with vinegar to form carbon dioxide and water, and it actually absorbs heat during the reaction. So if you kind of, if you were to put your hand right underneath this container where the reaction is happening, all this nice vigorous bubbling, it would actually feel cold to you. Uh, the last one we have here is copper, and it reacts with carbon dioxide and water to form a greenish-blue substance, which we call a patina. And probably uh, an example of patina that you're most familiar with would be our Statue of Liberty. Alright, so I was talking about density before. Let's get into that a little bit more. So density is the relationship between an object's mass and its volume. And it has the formula D, or density, is equal to M which is mass divided by V, which is volume. Some common densities at 20 degrees Celsius, uh, the density of water is approximately one gram per milliliter. The density of mercury, which is another liquid, is about 13.6 grams per milliliter. The density of gold, 19.3 grams per milliliter. And the density of aluminum, 2.7 grams per milliliter. There's only one of these that I want you to memorize, and that's actually going to be over here, which is water. We use this one all the time, so it's going to be really useful for you um, to just go ahead and memorize that. All the rest of them we can go ahead and look at, or we can look up, but water is the only one that you're going to need to know kind of off the top of your head because you'll use it all the time. So when two substances are combined, the less dense substance floats on the top and the more dense substance will sink to the bottom. So if we were to make some comparisons, and I'd like you to write this down into your notes, using water as our liquid, if I was to put a bar of gold into water, since gold is more dense, it will sink in water. Um, let's say I was to put some aluminum into mercury, what do you think would happen then? Hopefully you realize that because the density of aluminum is less than the density of mercury, it would actually float in the mercury. Right. Another question, if you look at these two boxes, we've got uh, our first box over here. Uh, notice they are the same size. So we use uh, our formula of D equals M over V, which I'll write over here for you again. So we know that D equals M over V. Notice that both boxes have the same volume. So that means that the volume is not changing. What's changing is the amount of particles that are in each of these boxes. And if the amount of particles changes, that means the mass is going to change. So uh, take a minute and pause right here and try and think about which one of these boxes has the higher density and then figure out a reason why. All 
All right, so hopefully you paused and you thought about this question. So here, if we kind of write down what's happening, we have the density is equal to a lot of mass. I'm going to make that a huge M divided by yeah, yeah, a typical volume. Now, if we look at the same thing over here, we've got density is equal to a smaller amount of mass divided by the same size of volume, if you can imagine. Um, so if I take a small number divided by volume and a much larger number divided by the same volume, notice that this answer or this ratio is going to be greater. And that's because um, the ratio is bigger. So I know that the density of the first box is going to be greater. So my answer would be this box is going to have the higher density because there's more stuff or more mass uh, packed into the same amount of volume. So what are some other physical properties? We've got something like the melting point. That's the temperature at which a substance changes from a solid to a liquid. We have boiling point, which a lot of people think they know the definition of, and you know the common definition, but what you're going to learn now is the chemistry definition. That's the temperature at which a substance changes from a liquid to a gas, but specifically in chemistry, it's the temperature at which the bubbles of vapor form in a liquid, which is when vapor pressure inside the bubbles is equal to the vapor pressure outside, which is what we call atmospheric pressure. There's also solubility. That's how much of a solute or a substance dissolves in a solvent, the thing doing the dissolving, usually expressed in a unit of grams of solute per 100 grams of water, uh, though there are lots of units that we could be using. So now that we know some of these properties, let's say we have a mixture. So if you think back to what we learned in 1.1 and 1.2, we've got both homogeneous and heterogeneous mixtures, and we might need to separate those out. So some things you can use, magnetism. Um, magnets will attract particles that have magnetic properties, but not ones that don't. Uh, filtration, that's good if you have a solid in a liquid mixture. Distillation, that's good when you have a mixture of two liquids or even a solid dissolved into a liquid. You can go through and uh, distill. Excuse me. Chromatography is good for separating inks out, so that might be uh, the ink in a marker, but it also might be like a, a dye in a food, for example. Uh, a really good example of that is M&Ms and Skittles have different dyes that go into getting their colors. So here's those examples. We've got magnetism. And here's a distillation process set up. We can do this in the classroom, but you could also do this kind of out in the wild, per se, uh, if you're stuck with something like salt water and you need to try uh, and purify that water so that you can drink it. You can actually set up a distillation apparatus, and that's where, notice, you'll be boiling. The water will actually evaporate or boil and turn into a gas, which can then be cooled and collected by itself. Salt stays on the left, clean water on the right. This is an example of filtration. Here we've got what's called filter paper inside of a funnel. This filter paper is very much like a coffee filter. Um, you can get it in a variety of sizes so that larger particles can go through or they get trapped. So you can see here the liquid is going through to the bottom but that orange solid is sitting on the top. The next one we have is this chromatography. So here what they have is uh, a water-based marker. So this is like a Sharpie marker.
curb tomato dot. And notice that the water is starting to rise up this piece of filter paper, very similar to what we have over here, and the colors will travel different distances. So you can see that this black dot of ink is actually made up of lots of different colors. You've got the purple that travels the least, some oranges, some yellows, some blues, uh, maybe even some greens that you'll see here. But these are all examples um, of how you can separate out mixtures. Okay, we've also got some changes in matter. We've got physical changes. Those are changes that don't change the composition of a substance or its identity. So usually what happens is maybe the state is changed, the appearance is changed. Most of the time they're easily reversible if you're changing something like state. Um, some examples, if you boil water, that's water changing from a liquid into a gas. Chemical changes, on the other hand, are changes that produce brand new kinds of substances, which means that the chemical composition has changed. They are not easily reversed. For example, you burn a piece of paper, it changes the identity of paper. You now have a pile of ashes and carbon dioxide gas that's been released. There's no way you can smush them back together and form paper again. That's the idea of, uh, if you're not sure, ask yourself about whether or not it's easy to reverse. Okay, so on the left-hand side, we have a physical change of water molecules freezing into ice. You could also go the opposite direction and say the ice is melting into water. Okay. Here we've got, um, and this is actually two things happening. We have some liquid water, which is boiling to form a steam that you can see up here. But they're also showing you inside the thermometer, and these are older thermometers, uh, the mercury is getting more and more excited and it actually starts to take up more space. It spreads out, which is exactly why the mercury starts to rise in your thermometer. So uh, I want to show you kind of a quick time-lapse video of um, taking some ice, heating it up to liquid water, and then eventually heating it enough that it turns into a gas. So uh, the next thing you'll see is kind of a time-lapse video of me doing that. Uh, at my house. Here's another example um, where you might use something like color change to determine if uh, a substance is has gone through a physical or a chemical change. So up here we start with this nice bright yellow potassium chromate. Notice that as we're heating it, so the temperature is getting hotter, it's going orange and then almost this dark red or brown color. But notice what happens when you let it cool down again. It goes back to that original yellow. So you didn't really make any permanent changes, you were able to reverse it. That's how we know this is a physical change change. On the other hand, if you look down here, we have some orange, what's called ammonium dichromate. We start to heat, start to heat. Notice we have all this production of gas and some other substances. It goes to this black compound. Notice that at the end, even when you cool it down, it doesn't go back to the original orange, so it's not reversible. We would then consider that a chemical change. 
So generally speaking, we call this, for example, a chemical reaction. Okay. So how does it generally go? Here we have a canister of hydrogen and a canister of oxygen. So you can see hydrogen is an element, oxygen is an element. What happens is we let the two mix under heat and it forms a brand new substance, which in this case happens to be water. So we put some energy in, we heated it up, we broke apart these old bonds. So we broke apart the hydrogen bond and then we broke apart the oxygen bond. Those atoms then are all mixed up. They don't quite know what to do and they start to form brand new bonds. So they're rearranging themselves, giving off energy as they form this new compound, which in our case happens to be water. So typically how you'll see that written in chemistry is reactants listed on the left-hand side, the arrow showing that you underwent some kind of chemical change, and then products, or what you're producing, listed on the right-hand side. All right, here's an example of um, burning that methane gas again, which is what you find in your homes. Um, it reacts with oxygen. Notice what happens is that it breaks all these old bonds and everything's kind of all by itself. And then new bonds or new relationships start to form. Um, so we have oxygen joining together with hydrogen. We also have oxygen joining together with carbon. So what we're producing is something brand new, water and carbon dioxide. So we've got reactants turning in to products. Uh, here's another example, probably a little bit more violent or cool of a reaction, and that is when you take a penny and you put it in some nitric acid. So what we've got right here, just a plain old penny, and we have nitric acid, HNO3. So what happens is this nitric acid gets poured in on the penny. Notice what starts to happen to the penny. You get this really nice brown gas that gets produced. It's really bright orange over here, and you can almost see that penny is starting to dissolve away, and you're getting this nice greenish liquid on the bottom instead. So now I'm going to show you a video of that.